Today's Tea Health Show is brought to you by Sulal. The Sulal range of products is available at major retail pharmacies and health stores. Sulal, body, mind, Sulal. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show. And in studio today, uh, we have the um, head trainer for Sulal, um, B. Heidenrich. B, good morning. Morning, Dr. And for the rest of my normal cohort, Sister Elise van Aert, Stacey Holland, and our producer, Simpiwe. Good morning. Hello. Morning. Okay, so as the only guy in... Really? <laughs> oh, please. So as the only guy in, in the studio, the month of November is called Movember. And Mo- Movember is the month where we focus on men's health issues. So... We are going to talk about hormones and the extent they play in men. So to kick us off, um, I'm going to ask you guys, what are the five most common hormone imbalances in people? Okay, some Piwe's ready. No, I was, <laughs> yeah, that's the first time I've seen you so excited. Go. The hand was up. No, I thought he was going to be like, what are the hormones? And I was going to be like, testosterone. <laughs> so, I'm, okay, let's stop there. I'm very glad that you said that because B, when you and I spoke, um, we, we touched on this. When guys hear the word hormones, they either think of their wives and the hot flushes and mood swings that they have, or they think about testosterone and muscles. But actually, we have 50 hormones in the body. Each of those plays a specific role, and all of them are inextricably linked to the other one. In other words, if I fiddle around with one hormone, it brings about changes not only in that system, but it affects the other hormones that's related to them. And this for us is incredibly important to understand. But it's normal to say that it's, is it a correct fascination that men have with testosterone? I mean, we understand that testosterone defines certain things in fact i found an found an interesting fact the other day when you equalize testosterone measurements for women and estrogen measurements we actually have higher testosterone than estrogen apparently you make four times more estrogen in your ovaries uh, four times more testosterone. testosterone in your ovaries than you make estrogen for the simple reason Testosterone is the precursor to estrogen. So is it the correct, is it a correct fascination for men to be obsessed with testosterone, testosterone, testosterone? You know what? Let me ask, let's, let's ask the other ladies well, I think here. Most men are fascinated because they think that's the only hormone that drives their libido. <laughs> <laughs> we all know where Muscles or libido, oh, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> But we need to remember that testosterone is not just about libido. It's important for your blood sugar levels, your mental state, how your brain functions. Mm. Um, there's so much more. Cardiovascular health, health, bone health. So much more to, to But they're not thinking about those things, right? So they don't know it. That's the thing. <laughs> I, I actually want to go a step back. If we, if you walk, Stacey, you're a personal trainer. Um, B, it looks like you exercise on a regular basis. Um, what what are your 
<laughs> and yet you've because lost the most weight out fabulous. of all of us. <laughs> um, you know what? Walk into any gym and go and see what's happening there. And people think testosterone is for muscles and that's what they use it for. Testosterone and anabolic steroids. Yeah. And then they use it in their late teens. And in their early 20s and maybe into their 30s. And by the time that they get to 35, they end up in my office and now they have emotional disturbances mm. yeah. and erectile dysfunction. Mm. Uh, besides all the other stuff that they've done, like cause irreparable damage to their fertility, um, they might have caused damage to their um cardiovascular system through the effect of testosterone. So testosterone is only, it's not only there for muscle growth, it, it has a role to play in so many things. But let's circle back to what we started with. What are the most common hormone imbalances that we have? We're talking about men now. Oh, people. Just people in general. Because they're the same. I'll, I'll start. Mm. Um, sugar imbalances. Diabetes. Diabetes. Yeah. Um, and Insulin what we need to know is yeah. that your sugar metabolism depends on a couple of things, like insulin, number one, insulin growth-like factor, which is like a growth hormone. Unfortunately, cortisol levels mm -hmm. and glucagon. Mm. Okay. And all of those come from the adrenal glands. But did you guys know that all of those hormones, as well as testosterone, bind to one, one receptor? Mm. So if there's a problem with your testosterone, you have a problem with insulin metabolism, with cortisol metabolism, etc., etc. Now, where's that receptor? Everywhere. On all, all your cells. The body. All your cells. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's it's in the brain. That's it's in the gut. That one. Did I use it? Did I use it correctly? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But also, I mean, if we start if we start from the brain down, um, or even just going above the adrenals, thyroid is a major one. I don't. So that's the second one. Hypothyroidism. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we'll go, we're going to circle back to each and one of them. So you've already mentioned the third one. Mm. What did I mention? I adrenal. So <laughs> adrenals, adrenal insufficiency. And mm. um, we spoke about it last week when we spoke about stress and fatigue, yeah. um, your adrenal insufficiency. Now, um, guess what the fourth one is? Okay, so we mentioned thyroid, adrenals. This is not something that usually occurs in men, but Sister Elise, actually, when I spoke to her about this, uh, mentioned something about it. B, mm. from your side, what would you think? Uh, I would say if it's not specifically in men, then polycystic ovarian syndrome. Absolutely. Would, wouldn't that be because? insulin? And thyroid and, and insulin, thyroid, and testosterone. <laughs> yes. Now, damn it. <laughs> so that's the fourth one. Now, guess what's the last one? <clears throat> it, it's number five on the list. Hmm. Hypogonadism. Oh. Absolutely. And hypogonadism is not only in men; it's also in women. women. Why? That's because hypogonadism—that's when your gonads, testicles, and ovaries 
start becoming lazy or insufficient or they shut down. And it's hypo versus hyper. So hypo is low. Okay. (laughs) Underperformance. Hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism. Okay. So why is this important? Why do you guys think hormone balance is important? Because it makes people feel like absolute shite. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind that it makes you feel crappy. We feel like walking zombies. That's that's one reason. But the biggest complication with hormone imbalances is that the fact that it has a negative impact on cardiovascular health, Mm. insulin and glucose metabolism, Mm. thyroid metabolism, it leads to inflammation. And we all know that inflammation is bad for us. It leads to cognitive decline. It leads to erectile dysfunction. Mm. It leads to osteoporosis and osteopenia. So depression and anxiety mood disorders. So basically create frustration in... So basically you feel like shit. (laughs) So, you know what, every time that I walk onto a stage and I talk about um, the importance of hormone balance, I start my, my talk with something along the line that from an anthropological perspective, that's a big word. Exactly. Um, <laughs> or an evolutionary perspective, the human lifespan is approximately 48 years. Elephants, 52. Um, your big tortoises and turtles, a little bit longer, etc., etc. But from an evolutionary perspective, you are at the end of your life at 48. Now, all of us in this room except the little one, um, <laughs> is coming Towards to the, end of, the end of our lives. And this oh, is where hormone levels start declining. It's the natural progression. But what we have done through the advances in medicine and advances in civilization that we are now living in communities communities where we are sheltered and pampered, etc., etc., we live longer. But we haven't changed our genetics. Mm-hmm. And this is why hormone imbalances start moving us from being alphas at the head of a herd to the middle of a herd to the back of a herd where you start falling prey to not only predators but disease. Um, by keeping these hormone balances optimal and in check, you prolong well-being and quality of life, never mind longevity. So, you know, it's increased health, um, lifespan, but, but many people haven't increased health span. We haven't increased our health yeah. span. Yeah. What I also find quite interesting, you say, you know, when you reach your 40s, your hormone levels start declining. All of them decline except for your cortisol, which increases as we get older. And we've already discussed the problems that cortisol can actually cause. My hand's been up like my Granger. <laughs> so actually, when do you think hormone levels start decreasing? Probably in your 30s, realistically. 35. 35 probably even. Elise? Yeah, I agree with that. 
Sims, I've had this discussion. You better get this one right. <laughs> I'll just go with, you know, you majority rule. <laughs> you know? Okay. So, your hormone the levels start. classroom today. <laughs> <laughs> and we are failing, people. Yeah. Pull your, your thumbs up. <laughs> your hormone levels start decreasing from your mid 20s. Oh, wow. So, for women. So, it's when, just going downhill for me. Basically, as right time <laughs> the hill, you start going And down. listen to this. By the time that you get. Uh, Turn 50, your testosterone levels have decreased by 50% from your 20s. So. Is this a depressing thought for a Thursday morning? Well, I don't know. Like, is this just because of this delay in genetics catching up? Or is it a factor of epigenetics and our belief? And therefore, our lifestyle that, that aligns with this belief that these hormones start declining. And is it across the board? I certainly think lifestyle plays a big part. Do you know what I mean? Like um, The food that we eat, mm. um, I think there's definitely a big role with, with regards to that. Because in terms of metabolism, from around 30, there's actually just a baseline that's main, maintained, but we tend to lose muscle tissue. And, okay. and muscle can be so thought of as, a, as just, an endocrine. Just explain... Uh, B, you and Stacy, please explain metabolism because people think metabolism is, it's what you eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's co- something completely different. So will you guys just unpack <laughs> on this what <laughs> metabolism means because I want us to move over to a disease that is becoming more and more prevalent. And it's called metabolic syndrome. Mm. So just explain metabolism. So for me, the, the simplest way to explain metabolism is literally how each and every cell in your body is taking the carbohydrates, the fats and the proteins and all the nutrients that you eat, taking all of that mm. and converting it into energy that your body can actually use. To and me, you, that's yeah, the simplest, one hundred percent. And it's all the all. It's the we've mentioned it on the show. It's the sum of all these chemical reactions that take place in the body. So often people think of metabolism, as Mark mentioned now, as weight loss, but actually it's not. It's how efficiently your body and therefore your cells are able to use energy to power the entire system. Exactly, and that powering the system comes to. Something as simple as blinking your eye, mm. breathing, how you digest your food. It's not just about muscle and, and weight loss. Yeah. So when we think of metabolism, what you said, it's literally taking energy, burning it with oxygen mm. to make a form of energy that our body uses and, to work. And our mitochondria, which we've only started learning about in the last what would you say be like five if that years not even 10 years we've been looking at mitochondrial dysfunction in these energy crises that we have and in our general understanding of what it means to be healthy and just again going back to basic biology we used to call them the powerhouses of the cell and i mean i think it's just the best description for now for most people to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like supplying coal to ESCOM yeah. so that you can switch on the lights. <laughs> but, but, and, and they're experiencing exactly what's going on in South Africa. We're experiencing this biological load shedding because we run out I like of that. Yeah. This. I like that. I, I, I like that term. Yeah. So one of the most 
common diseases that we are having, and it's a syndrome, which means that it's different diseases or symptoms that's defined as one entity, and that's metabolic so, disorder or metabolic disease. Sister Elise, will you will you run through our understanding? Of metabolic disease Because yesterday I saw you did a lot of reading on it (laughs) It is a test (laughs) So according to my understanding is um, I I often hear people are saying Or men specifically are saying He's been diagnosed with metabolic syndrome And they don't know what it means It sounds like a terrible disease It is a terrible disease Yeah, but they don't understand what it is all about So I, for instance, found that cholesterol You have hypercholesterolinemia You have um, high levels of triglycerides Which is also the fat metabolism Um. You, your sugar metabolism Mm -hmm. is also um, defunct, if you want to call it that. Yes. Yes. Um, Low testosterone, hypogonadism, and then um, weight gain. That's the fifth Mm -hmm. thing. So, if you have three of those types of symptoms, I don't want to call it diseases yet, symptoms, then you have metabolic syndrome. But one I think that we should add here is hypertension. Mm. Oh, yes, of course. So um, I just quickly want to stop and ask, Sims, do you know the word hypertension? I've heard it before. Okay, so it means high blood pressure. Do you know what a normal blood pressure is? No. You probably you, do. You just you didn't brain study it. yesterday. So. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. <laughs> we see it in, on posters sometimes. We do hear it often. We just don't connect with it. Okay? So it's an intellectual term that we yeah. often just don't connect. With so it. I actually think most of us are hypertensive because the new classification of hypertension it's is true. if your systolic blood pressure now that's the the higher level of the two. Is above 130, you are hypertensive. And they would go in the classification of metabolic syndrome to say that if you have a blood pressure of higher than 130 over 80. So it's not 120 anymore. It's shifted from 120 to 130. Yeah. Normal blood pressure is considered to be 120 over 80. But the moment that your diastolic blood pressure goes over 80, you start becoming, you, you get classified as one of those type, is it a type 1 hypertensive release? Yes. But are you saying a lot of us are sitting closer to the 130 mark? Most of us are somewhere between 130 and 140. And here we can refer to what what what's what's the cause of this? It was my understanding that the one twenty had shifted closer to one seventeen. Yeah, it's, and it's, and by virtue of that, then yeah. what we thought was normal is actually it's not okay. Mm. And um, we spoke about it last week. One of the first signs of stress is the release of mm. cortisol, and actually, the one that goes before cortisol mm. is adrenaline. And what does adrenaline do? It constricts blood vessels to push blood. To the organs where it's needed And that's the brain and the heart And that's the last place Where you want mm. hypertension 
or high blood pressures in your cardiovascular no, Absolutely, because you will be increasing your risk of stroke, which is your biggest risk with, with high blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w- I think going back to what Sister Elise was talking about, sometimes we, we speak about, I don't know, I found this even when I was studying. We speak about terms in our bodies that sound scary and sound like they are separate to us. Yes. And... I like to, when I educate my clients, I like them to think in pictures and I like them to draw the connection. So if you, if you just consider what B and I were talking about in terms of what metabolism is, if it's all these processes that take place in the system, in the body, then metabolic syndrome, knowing that it's maybe something that's not great, means that all the systems and all the processes in the body are going to be affected. And that's why you have things like Lipid metabolism, which is how your body then breaks down fats. Cause we said it's about how the body uses these energy molecules to power itself. So that's how you can think about, well, the body needs sugar. It needs fat. There's protein there. And then it needs all these other processes and organ systems to keep us functioning. So when you say me- metabolic syndrome, it actually is serious because it's every system in the body that will somehow be affected from it not functioning properly. So it's very interesting when we look at the distribution between men and women for Mm. metabolic syndrome. um, We see that women have only a 3% higher incidence of metabolic syndrome. And all of that happens after menopause. Mm. Higher than men. Higher than men. Okay. Mm. Higher than men. So... Why are we concerned about hormone imbalances and, and specifically metabolic syndrome? Well, I think your your metabolic syndrome is is almost your your pre diabetic stage. Yes, and it leads to diabetes. Number one. So if you don't get that under control, mm. you you significantly increasing your risk. And I read a very interesting article couple of weeks ago where diabetes is the second biggest killer in South Africa after TB. So it's very real in, in this country and, and with our clients. Well, you know, but I, I have to agree with you and Sister Elise will back me up here because when we look at our bloods that we screen our patients with when they come for their first visit, I often ask them, okay, you've written down your medication, but where's your diabetic medication? What are you taking for your diabetes? And they look at me as if I'm a, a, a green alien in a pink tutu, which I have worn by the way. Or a mankini. <laughs> I can believe that. If you ever show those photos to me. <laughs> so, um, and yes, uh, you know what? I see... A, a, a huge, huge increase in not necessarily type 2 diabetes, but in impaired glucose metabolism. It's not glucose tolerance. It's in glucose metabolism and then insulin resistance where we are not sensitive yeah. to insulin or where insulin no longer works properly. And we'll, we'll go into that. Maybe one. just quickly touch on the two because you, I mean, you, you brought it up as an important clarification. Okay. So let's just understand what insulin does in the body. So glucose, which is sugars and energy that's circulating in the blood, needs to go 
from the blood into the cells. And for them to do that, there's gates, if I can call it like that, that needs to open. Now, insulin is the key that opens the gate. So now you can think about this. If you have this very long corridor with lots and lots of doors and you're a janitor and you have to put a little parcel in each of these offices, there's a problem though. The doors aren't marked and you don't know which key opens which door. Your best option is to have all kinds of different keys. Am I right? Mm-hmm. But that's going to take you an inordinate amount of time to open the doors. Now, that's for insulin. So when this, these doors don't open reg- regularly or it's difficult to open them, we start producing more and more insulin to try and see which one would fit so that we can get the job done. Does that explain? Mm. So okay. you're basically weighing the janitor down with more and more keys that he has yes. to carry, and yet yes. none of them are working. And, and, and it's inefficient and ineffective. What will well. eventually happen is the factory, your pancreas, that is producing these keys will stop functioning. Mm. Okay. It will run out of the resources to make keys, and that's when we start developing type 1 diabetes. And now we go on to injectable forms of insulin. I think that's an important point to illustrate why syndromes are, are used to describe these conditions because at one point in time, your bloods will come back normal. At one point in time, your bloods will come back low. At one point in time, your bloods will come back high. There's this fluctuation. And that's why it's important to, I suppose, establish a relationship with someone because uh, you know, bloods will be a snapshot in time. I, I, I'm very happy that you said that. And B has, has acknowledged, and Sister mm. Elise is also shaking her head. I always tell my patients that we can't be governed by blood tests when it comes to hormones. Because, as you just said, it's a snapshot of what's happening in the blood at that very specific moment oh in time. Mm. But what we forget, and this is where the Solol products play a very, very big role, is that hormones are chemical messengers. They're secreted by specialized tissue, and then they circulate in the blood. For them to become active, they have to bind to a receptor. And only then does it elicit an effect. But for it to bind to the receptors, it requires cofactors, things like vitamins, minerals, trace elements, and other enzymes. And if we don't have optimal levels of these things, and this is why I think most people think they supplement, um, but we have to supplement in a specific way to manage stuff because if you over supplement, you create a toxicity. Um, and, but we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sister Elise, you said something very, very interesting earlier about 
one of the major hormone imbalances, and that was polycystic ovarian disease. In your reading that you found that the difference between the testosterone in the men and the women. Exactly. So just run us through that one again. So the relationship between testosterone and metabolic syndrome differs from males to females. Mm. Uh, Metabolic syndrome definitely relates to low testosterone in males. But in females, it is the other way around. With high testosterone levels, women present with Metabolic syndrome So just high androgens Therefore impacting the female body In a completely different Completely way. different hmm. way I agree with you but I also disagree Because the fifth one Is hypogonadism So women have a double And this is what makes our work When we work with women so difficult Is it's about The balance Why are women so difficult <laughs> Because Why are we so complicated? One, one of, you know what, testosterone levels can be associated with metabolic syndrome if it's too high, mm-hmm. but it can also be associated with metabolic syndrome if it's low. Oh, yeah. Okay, but let's and go this into is a, that. And, okay. All right. So what happens if a woman's ovaries stops working? She stops producing testosterone. But where else does she produce testosterone? In her adrenals. Correct. So now your adrenals is going into overdrive. Mm. So you've produced more testosterone. What Which, does happen then? You get this middle, uh, uh, the core mm. weight distribution mm. where they have a, a belly, etc., etc. suddenly develop that. Yeah, That's your adrenal we, type body. Okay, but mm. if I have to ask a question, when we see those women, oh, you're referring to the PCOS body. Correct. Mm. But after menopause, when your ovaries stopped working, you develop that adrenal body where the fat distribution is around, around the tummy. The tummy. The tummy. That fat distribution is because of cortisol. Exactly. But why do we secrete more cortisol? Because the adrenals try and compensate for the testosterone that's not being secreted four Altering. times by the okay, ovaries. That's very interesting. That's, that's very interesting. Works. Now, on the flip side of that, as we said, testosterone is the hormone that decreases in women faster than estrogen because we can make estrogen in other places, parts of the body as well. But you know what? Testosterone is the precursor because you use it to aromatase into estrogen. Yeah. And this is important for men as well because when you fiddle with a testosterone, you are fiddling with the estrogen. Well, By taking testosterone, I can turn you into a big girl. <laughs> I was going to say, is that also why we're starting to see a shift, and we did speak about it just from a psychological perspective, in the morphology, the shape of men's bodies? Yes. Absolutely. And I think also by, by increasing estrogen in men, you're also risking the risk of prostate cancer. Mm. Um, yes, because actually testosterone protects you against prostate cancer. Right. Um, it was we very, very interesting article was published um, recently, which um, I, I when I saw it, I was jumping up and down because for such a long period of time, we thought that prostate cancer was di- related or re- as a cause of testosterone and testosterone supplementation. And the latest studies have shown that when we treat the metabolic 
side. Mm. And that is testosterone and lowering cholesterol with statins or testosterone and lowering insulin levels with metformin. There's a cardioprotective element to testosterone supplementation, which we always mm. thought was um, in the reverse, that testosterone would cause cardiovascular dysfunction. And that now, when you use either one of those two drugs in conjunction with testosterone, it protects against aggressive prostate cancer. It's like what we found with a woman. Everything that we knew up to, I would say, 2019, 2020 is being turned on its head. Mm. We are understanding the necessity of balancing hormones far clearer than we ever had previously. Yeah. Well, then quick question, Dr. Mark, on the whole topic of hormones and that if like, if the one happens to a woman, it's the opposite for guys. What happens when, when you're talking about a trans person where they, they deliberately go in and they get hormones and that is to deliberately change how they physically look and their physical attributes? And given underlying conditions, it's a very good question. Okay, so can I just you answer that one? <laughs> because um, if you are transgender, it's either a decision that I want to trans, mm-hmm. or it is a biological thing. So that needs to be established okay. first. Okay, and these transgender people will always be on hormonal replacement therapy. It's not as if you can stop at one stage because otherwise they'll revert back to what they were before they transed. Okay. And that's the problem that we sit with. You need to understand what their hormone levels are, where is the problem, where do we need to fix. It's small changes like Dr. Mark always says to our patients. It's the feedback that we get from these patients and how we're going to treat them with hormone replacement. And I think, sorry, go be. Okay. No, I just I think this is really important that you don't try and, and um, fix this yourself, that you actually consult with somebody who understands hormones, who understands the complexity of hormones and how they interact and interfere with each other mm. if, you, if you're wanting the, the best results. Hormones are so powerful. And I think we say hormones like these innocuous things that flow through the system, but they are extremely powerful. But I, I find it interesting if someone considers then transitioning with underlying hormonal imbalances how that would be handled it for me it would be quite a fascinating thing if someone's got underlying metabolic syndrome or disease or you know Hashimoto's or something yes. how would that be so handled yeah there's um we know that women have a higher incidence of autoimmune diseases mm. yes so when a male transition to female the risk and the incidence of developing autoimmune diseases, thyroidism, um, osteo- osteo- and rheumatoid arthritis increase and the other way around. So actually swap the good parts. And literally, <laughs> literally. Okay. So let's just very quickly run through the five Major hormone imbalances. So we have seen diabetes, elevated cholesterol levels, 
Um, adrenal insufficiency, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and hypogonadism. So, B, let's just start with supplementation and that we can have in range of products which is available at retail pharmacies, health stores, and some of our major chain stores. I know that uh, um, Pick and Pay will have some solo range. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pick and Pay have. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know about um, the the others. Checkers and Spa. I, don't, I haven't seen it there, but I know that Pick and Pay stores. Yeah, yeah. And your best bet is probably independent pharmacies as well. Okay. So diabetes, insulin uh, metabolism. That's off. So there, what do we have yeah, in the range? Yeah, there's normally about two products I'd recommend for that. The first one is chromium polynicotinate. I can never say that. <laughs> I know, eh? Yeah. Chromium. Chromium poly. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, so, so Salal does a, a very um, absorbable, bioavailable form of chromium. And what chromium does, it almost acts as the Q20 for the keys that Mark was talking about. Oh, so it makes it fit it easier. So it makes it insulin. insulin fit better. It ah. makes insulin work better. It helps to unlock those doors so that your glucose that's in your bloodstream can actually get into the cell. And chromium is actually really important for people who exercise a lot. Exercise decreases your chromium levels. Um, as well, if you eat a lot of refined foods, if you're eating a lot of white bread and white rice and maize Stop meal. Stop eating the stuff. Yeah, you're, you're Stop refined. Stop telling us what Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> your refined carbohydrates actually eliminates chromium from your body. So if you think of the people who've got insulin imbalances and insulin problems, the need for chromium is actually quite significant. Is so that it's, because it, it's necessary to work with magnesium to counter effect the, or counterbalance the effect of the sugar, the influx yes. of sugar that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So using chromium and magnesium together is actually a very good combination. Yeah. yeah. Another product that we often suggest is alpha lipoic acid, which is very structurally similar to your B vitamins. And alpha lipoic also works on sensitizing your insulin, makes your insulin work better, and it helps your little mitochondria, your little energy factory to produce that energy that your body needs that we were speaking about earlier. So the combination of alpha lipoic and chromium are really important for your, your Metabolic syndrome, your insulin resistance, as well as for your diabetics. Okay. I just want to stress, um, and I can't stress this em- enough, nutritional, nutritional supplementation is never a substitute for prescription medication Correct. if you are a diabetic. So please don't think that by taking these, you can just control your diabetes or glucose intolerance or insulin resistance. Absolutely. You can, you can help optimize the system. And this is again, hormones need to bind to receptors very often and most, most often require cofactors. And what we are basically talking about in supplementation is giving you the optimal cofactors so that these systems can work 
correctly. Absolutely. I agree with you, Mark. And we never advise anybody to, to stop their chronic medication. And the supplementation is really, like you say, to support how those processes work in the body, to support the medication that you are taking, which is also why it's really important that you keep going for your medical follow-ups to make sure that the combination is, is working correctly. Okay. So the next one, one that we see very often in the practice is hyper or hypo. So it's either overactive or underactive thyroid. Now, um, Elise, your daughter. Why do you look so grumpy now? <laughs> it's confused. Because I told I her she can't have carbs. <laughs> it's still school exam time. Yeah. So Engela went through uh, a thyroid crisis. And you know what? She ended up in hospital with almost like a Cushing syndrome. Uh, because of this, don't you just want to relate to us some of the signs and symptoms that you can experience when you have problems with your thyroid metabolism? What I noticed with Engelo was the anxiety first. Mm. She was like very stressed out, heart palpitation. So she had the overactive yes. thyroid. Yes. When the thyroid start just going, going mad, yeah. it, it produces so much thyroid hormone that it drives you insane. And then that Terrible fatigue. Mm. She had that was the three things that I remembered about when she went into this crisis, and only then um, the specialist started looking for the thyroid problem. And they started with um, the two simplest tests, with the thyroid stimulating hormone and the, the T4. T4. And later on, when she didn't respond to anything because that looked normal. Mm. They went into looking at T3, T3. and antibodies. Don't you always have to do a quite robust thyroid panel yes. if yes. you suspect yes. those types of symptoms. Mm. Absolutely, mm. because um, we spoke about it. Um, Simply, do you remember when Dr. Claudia Duval was here when we spoke about kidney disease? Mm-hmm. One of the things that Claudia, as a physician, is seeing is um, the increased prevalence of subclinical mm. hypothyroidism. Mm. And when I started really looking for it in my practice, Elise, has there been one person in the last month, and Stacey is shaking, shaking her head, that we've seen normal with thyroid. a normal thyroid. Yeah. I think there was one, a guy who had TSH of 1.2 and a T4 of 16, 16. but one. So B, hypothyroidism, lead us off. One of the stuff that we can have in the solar range that we can use to help maintain normal thyroid function and even support thyroid function. Yeah, absolutely. So for an underactive thyroid, depending on the severity, you know, you would normally need thyroid hormone replacement therapy. But This is dangerous. You need to do this with a practitioner that actually knows what he's doing because there are different products on the market and you need to understand where your endpoint is. Absolutely. So what Salal has is we have a product called Thyroplex, which supplies the building blocks that your thyroid needs to be able to produce a thyroid hormone. So we're not supplying actual thyroid hormone in the product. 
we supply ingredients like iodine, tyrosine, and glucolipid, which comes from the myrrh tree. And these are the little building blocks that your thyroid needs to be able to make your thyroid hormone, your T4, and your T your T3. So this maintains your, your optimal thyroid function. Um, it can be used together with your, your thyroid medication provided, as Dr. Mark said, it's being monitored and, and, and you are, um, you know, going for your regular blood test to see what your thyroid hormone levels are doing. Um, what other ingredients you can add, things like your iron and your zinc are also really effective because these actually help the conversion of your thyroid hormone T4 into T3 so that yeah. that can actually work in the body. Yeah. Can I, can I interject there for a second? Um, one of my mentors, David Arthur, who is part of the Ascendus group, yes. um, taught me many, many years ago that for your thyroid hormone to be active and effective, it needs to bind to the receptor, and that receptor is mainly made up of iron and vitamin D. So when you look at thyroid function, you can't just look at TSH and T4. You need to look at all the other cofactors, and this includes optimal levels of iron, optimal levels of vitamin D, and then the supplements that is necessary, like the zinc, the magnesium is very important. Mm-hmm. Be, um, you guys have the magnesium available. We do a magnesium glycinate, um, which is one of the better absorbed forms of magnesium. It also doesn't cause any gut issues. Some people are it's quite Stacey's sensitive. favorite. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, magnesium can sometimes cause a bit of loose stools in people. Yeah. So our magnesium yeah. doesn't, doesn't cause that. Well, multi-form is magnesium is important, but most people are taking the wrong form of magnesium. No, they or, take it in the form of slowcay or slowmag. Yeah, for the benefit that they want, they're not getting it in all the other forms. Yeah, so, absorption yes, mag- is critical. Yes. If you're going to be taking mm. a supplement, you want to make sure that it's in a form that the body can actually absorb and use. Mm. Correct. Okay. Right. So um, one of the symptoms that Elise just mentioned, and Elise, I don't know if you want to go a little bit more into this, was the thyroid antibodies. Now, here we're thinking of your autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's, um, disease, graves. Um, Engelo had an overactive thyroid that was burning it itself out, but, and she had severe antibodies against her, her thyroid hormone. Do you, uh, B, do you want to tell us a little bit? Elise, do you want to tell I don't us about enough. antibodies? Um, I, I also think we need to go into the fact that the thyroid can burn itself out and people mm. don't understand that. Mm. It presents as hyperthyroidism, mm. but actually, Ingela, if you th- look at her body type, she's got hypothyroidism. Yeah, she, uh, you know, at hyperthyroidism, we would, um, associate with skinny lean, people that's oh, yeah. quite jittery and yeah. they have the bulging eyes and yeah. Yeah. sweaty um, skin and sweaty yeah. hands. But it's not always like that. And it's the episode that she went through. She had, the morphology of a hypothyroid Correct. patient because of the antibodies, which mm-hmm. means literally the body was destroying its own thyroid hormone and the receptors where it was binding. So I can, I always use an analogy, which I would, I, you know, I'm going to say it because it's true. It's like governments. They sit there and you can see them. I didn't say our government. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like governments. You can see the cabinet and you know what? They are doing the work, but the result 
is never there. And this is what antibodies causes. On paper, your thyroid will look normal. But if you have antibodies, it can't physically do what it's supposed to do because it's blocked or attacked or destroyed or siphoned off. Well, this is why your bloods always need to be interpreted in conjunction with your symptoms. If you are not feeling normal, then something normal is not going on. And again, maybe it was the time of day. It could have been what you were doing 24 hours or 48 hours prior to having those bloods taken, you've got to speak to your practitioner about the symptoms so that they can investigate further when it comes to things looking supposedly normal. And that's also where you have to get a really good practitioner. So beef or thyroid antibodies, Um, um, what uh, we, we, we don't, there's no medication to treat this. You treat this by optimizing the systems and the cofactors. So do you want to run? So we don't have one specific solution there. You, you sort of want to address the autoimmune elements. So there you're normally looking at ingredients such as your vitamin D3. You're looking at your omega threes. You're looking at coenzyme Q10. Um, the magnesium even, um, probiotics, you want to address the autoimmune element and you get that right, you will then be able to, to get the hormones right I as well. I think also it's an important note here is that um, the body is not doing something necessarily, necessarily wrong. It is doing the best it can with what it has. That's why we're talking about supplementation and changing certain things because often when we start changing the very actions that we do, Maybe inadvertently, the body's just coping. And when you, you can change that coping strategy for the body, then some of these symptoms seem to sort of dissipate a little bit, you know. So I think it's, that's an important understanding. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So one of the, the third, let's go over to the third, um, big one. And that's our lipid metabolism. That's, um, dysfunctional. And here we're looking at, um, low HDL, good cholesterol levels, um, and elevated triglycerides, which is the fatty, fatty compartment of that. Um, we also have LDL and very low lipid, um, density lipid proteins. But I think the most, the two most important one for us is elevating the good cholesterol, the HDL, mm-hmm. and lowering triglycerides so um stace do you guys want to weigh in here i think maybe be give us your recommendation hdl hdl cholesterol yeah so what's what's really interesting is a lot of people think that just by changing their diet they're going to get their cholesterol under control and about 70 percent of your cholesterol is actually manufactured by your liver um so that's also important to to fatty liver disease Yeah. yeah um from a from a supplement point of view, there are options, products like niacin, reduced rice, these types of yeah. things. Niacin, your statin, specifically yeah, statins B3. are most effective. Um, statins are prescription medications, yeah, but, but they, they come the with a side effect. They do. Yeah, I was going to say. One of the biggest side effects that they have is with the lower CoQ10 levels. Yeah, and depression and muscular cramps. People Mm. complain about joint pains, 
tiredness, all of those things with statins. So what statins do, statins, with lowering cholesterol, they block the cholesterol pathway in your liver. But by blocking that pathway, they're blocking the same pathway that your body uses to make coenzyme Q10. So you become deficient in coenzyme Q10. So we always advise any client or customer who has cholesterol problems or who is on a statin medication to supplement with ubiquinol CoQ10 to replenish that coenzyme so that you can actually try and reduce the side effects and the symptoms associated with using statins. The challenge I also have though is that we need cholesterol for hormones. So sometimes You need cholesterol yes. for everything. Yeah, and and I think Davia alluded to this the last time she was here. Sometimes that by overprescription of statins, we affected people's hormonal health. Yeah. But I think it's also important for people to understand that if you think of <clears throat> HDL and LDL and triglycerides, one is the garbage truck, one is the garbage bag. I think David Arth also uses this <laughs> analogy, right? A garbage bag is not bad and a garbage truck is not good <laughs> necessarily. It's the two working in concert or the three working in yeah, concert. It's a balance. So we want to improve the efficiency of the waste removal system, not, you know, calling one bad or good. Mm. That's the challenge. And that requires all of these cofactors. Mm. Yeah. And so when we think we're not influencing cholesterol by our diet, no, but we're improving the system because if you give the garbage truck too much garbage, then it's got to do, yeah, it's going so to overspill. That's, where, so that's, that's what niacin is do. really effective yes. because yeah. what niacin does it causes vasodilation, so opening up of the blood vessels. So you're basically clearing the road yes. for the truck to drive. Mm. Um, and that's where niacin is very effective mm. for you. But I, what I don't so. hear is none of you are talking about mm. the liver's role. You mentioned yes. our lipid metabolism happens in the liver. Do you know how many people has non-fatty or non-alcoholic, fat, non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic fatty, fatty, fatty liver syndrome? Yeah. syndrome. Um, the majority of patients. on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's actually quickly stop there because we have the other culprit, which is triglycerides. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm on cholesterol-lowering medication, and I've lowered my cholesterol from 7.7 to 5.3, but my problem is not – my HDL or my LDL, it's actually my triglycerides. And everyone that knows me know that I don't eat a lot of fatty food. Yeah. So how do we lower the triglycerides? I know that our omega-3 yeah. is a main one there. And I love the one that comes from Sulal, which is the krill oil. Yeah. So krill is probably the most effective for, for lowering your triglycerides. Um, high dosage omega-3s. Um, I would also look at how you eat your diet. I know you say you don't eat a lot of fats, but we do need some fats. So mm. trying to eat more fish as well is also very effective because you can't just rely purely on a, on a supplement. Yeah. But the krill oil being in the specific form that it is, is a very effective form of omega-3 that you don't actually need to take very high dosages. And I think with omega-3 supplements, most people are put off because if you've ever taken omega-3 capsule and you get that lovely oh, fishy burp, that oh, fishy taste when horrible. you take omega-3 fish, there is a, there is a way of doing that. You, you freeze it. <laughs> but you don't get it with krill oil. No, you don't. You don't get that with the krill oil, which makes it very It's not a good sign because omega supplements can can go rancid very quickly, you know, so, so quality of manufacturing is where you yeah. actually make a decision, which is why you can trust Absolutely. And this is brand. Krill, krill is quite yeah. nice in that it contains 
contains a natural antioxidant in it called astaxanthin. Mm. And that actually, because it's an antioxidant, it stops the oil from oxidizing. It keeps it fresh and potent. So you, you almost guarantee that the oil is not mm. rancid, mm. which is good. Just, just take one of your, um, omegas, especially the oils and leave it outside for a while. And see what happens. <laughs> so I've been, I've been shown the lasso. Um, which means that we need to wrap up. Let's just quickly run through what we've discussed. Major signs of hormone imbalances are a decrease in quality of life, fatigue, uh, pain, weight gain, cardiovascular disease. And for guys, um, one of the first signs of cardiovascular disease is erectile dysfunction. Later in this month, anxiety, that's what anxiety. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, so we didn't touch on the adrenal insufficiency. Actually, I would like to refer you to last week's discussion where we went into detail in the adrenal insufficiency. We have a one polycystic ovarian disease we will tackle next year when we do a series on female well-being and sexual health. And later in this this month, we will be discussing hypogonadism in men, low testosterone levels in men, in more detail. How do we treat it and how do we treat sexual dysfunction? Um, B, from, from us to you as an expert, thank you. Your knowledge about these products for us is invaluable. Um, thank you to Sulal for allowing you to come and speak with us, Stacy. Um, and Sister Elise, as always, thank you very much. Um, Simpiwe and I will be back next week and we will be joined by Dr. Gareth Jassink, a good friend of mine. He's a plastic and reconstructive surgeon and we're going to talk about aesthetic treatments specifically for men, seeing it's November. The Tea Health Show was brought to you by Sulal. Solal, body, mind, Sulal.